0: You are listening to the Balancing Act podcast with Danny Euro. I'm a licensed mental health counselor based out of Miami, Florida. I use the ideas and principles of acceptance and commitment therapy to help individuals who find themselves struggling in various areas of their lives. Episode 17 The Guide's Guide to Guiding. Hey there. This is the Balancing Act podcast. I am Danny. Hope this finds you well. I hope you had a wonderful 4th of July celebration. Some of you may be out there on road trips taking advantage of your summer vacations. Hope you're enjoying it. Hope you're driving safely and maybe you're listening to us uh, during one of your scenic drives. Uh, I want to extend a special welcome to those of you um, if this is your first time listening in with us. So thank you so much for giving us a chance and giving us a try. Um, if you've been listening, thank you so much for continuing to do so. We appreciate your support. Uh, please continue to listen, please continue to share, please subscribe, cause sharing is caring, and you know, continue to share the love. As always, feel free to email us at the the balancing act podcast at gmail.com with any suggestions, questions, or ideas. We love when listeners reach out to us. I think we have our our movie picked out for the next Act and Films episode. I also believe that Joe will be co-hosting again. He's uh, the gentleman that did the Star Wars uh, Act and Films episode with me last time. So looking forward to that. I'm glad that he's committed to it. Uh, He's already doing his uh, cinema research for the episodes. So that should be fun. Um, Our next episode, um, if all goes to plan, will be uh, our first Act Professional episode. Where I will be interviewing uh, two professionals in the advertising field to have a discussion on the way that they approach creativity and the role that psychological flexibility may serve in their kind of work. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I've known these two people for a long time. They're amazing. So uh, should be should be fun. Should be different. And hopefully it will be, will be practical for the listeners out there that maybe find themselves in similar uh, career paths. Um, there'll be there'll be more episodes in the future of Act Professional where I'm going to talk to uh, uh, doctors. There's a doctor out there that does sports medicine that we've already been in conversation. So we'll, we'll do an episode together as well. Uh, so looking forward to it. So there's things coming. Uh, hopefully uh, we're just trying to produce content that could be very helpful and practical for, for you, the listeners. So keep listening. Uh, you can also find us on Instagram. Our, um, our, we can find us there at The Balancing Act Miami. Uh, Give us a follow on there too, and you can also direct messages through there as well. Uh, We greatly appreciate it. Last episode, we discussed the unfortunate reality that there is no actual cure for anxiety or problem, emotion, or feeling that you'd much rather avoid. But fortunately, we can build tolerances to anxiety through exposure so that we can function despite it, thanks to the wisdom of the Incredible Hulk. But today, we will be discussing the challenges of guiding. Helping others in one form or another can be quite trying. As the helper, as the guide, we are put in a difficult position in which we are trying to support someone from one point to the other, and the challenges of all the points that tend to pop up in between. If there was a guide, a manual that is guide, that can help us with with all that guiding, if only there was a guide's guide to guiding. Questions. Do you have a guide's role? a teacher, a trainer, a parent, a therapist, a boss, a spiritual leader? Do you find yourself struggling through the ups and downs of the person you are trying to help? Does the struggling leave you feeling depleted? Hopeless? When the process stalls or hits roadblocks, do you look for escape from the responsibility of guiding? We are all behaviorists dancing. So many, many moons ago, I worked as a behavior therapist in a school that provided support and services for children on the autism spectrum. In a way, you can kind of say that was the beginning of the professional journey that I find myself on right now. It was difficult. It was a difficult job. Test patience, knowledge, and craft. Uh, we were uh, this particular school. We were like assigned to to one student all day long. It was a one to one ratio, and we had we basically had to utilize every single moment of the day uh, teaching them different skills. We, you know, some skills were academic. Some other skills were more like life skills oriented, like washing their hands correctly and drying their hands. And you know, we actually had one classroom where we we're teaching them how to cook. Uh, And then there's also we were also using any moment of the day to just use random, a random event to teach them something, you know, to kind of cultivate the sense of spontaneity uh, using our applied behavior analysis principles. Uh, Definitely was a test of our endurance because you're basically on all day. We're just focusing all day long, uh, focusing on the task at hand, looking for moments uh, that could become teaching moments for these for these youngsters but the despite the strain the the rewards were always incredible and definitely kept us going uh one day during a staff meeting our director pointed out to some something that that she was noticing while we were working with our students now before i go into her observation which which still which still sticks with me and it's been years and years um before i share that pearl of wisdom it's kind of necessary to kind of get into applied behavior analysis 101 for a moment so so just bear with me right so these are a couple of concepts I've mentioned in earlier episodes, I believe, uh, probably episode two or three. Um, one of them being positive reinforcement, right? So positive re- reinforcement is when a preferential stimulus is added after a behavior, in which the probability of that behavior will you know, occurring in the future will increase. So a good example for positive reinforcement would be a child brings home an A on his math test and his parents give him $20 to spend how he likes at the mall. He is likely to try um, try bringing home more A's from his tests or try, he'll try to get more A's on tests to bring home in the future um, to get more $20 bills, right? Now, that's, that's assuming that he finds $20 bills uh, a reinforcing stimulus, right? Now, the other term, uh, to focus on is negative reinforcement, which is when an aversive stimulus is removed um, from the environment after a behavior um, is elicited, in which the pro- which causes the probability of that behavior occurring um, in the future increases. Right, so sort of a mouthful, but we'll use the same example. Right, so the same say the same kid brings home an A from his math test, and his parents take away all his chores for the week because of the A. No more mowing the lawn, no more taking out the trash, no more vacuuming for that week. And because of that, the child is more likely to to try to do wellness tests to bring home A's in the future because he doesn't want to do the chores. Now, that's if he doesn't find the chores, you know, if he finds the chores aversive. If he likes the chores, then it's kind of counterproductive. But the idea is you want him to continue to do well in school and bring home the A's. So you take away things that he finds annoying, like the, the chores. That's negative reinforcement compared to the positive reinforcements that you want them to, to get the A. So you give him like some kind of like prize or reward and, you know, money and whatnot. So back to my boss's insight. So she noticed uh, some of us were rushing through our program lessons with our kids and then letting them go play as a reward, right? So we'd be sitting there going through our programming, you know, kind of like I'm um, grinding it out, trying to teach them whatever concepts we need to teach them from this particular protocol and then once we finished a particular section, we'd, we'd go, okay, go ahead, Johnny, and let them play in this little play area away from our table, right? And while the kid played, we would work on the paperwork and fiddle around um, at our desk away from the kid to decompress. What the director noticed was that a little dance was starting to occur, this, uh, like a, a metaphorical dance. Uh, we were positively reinforcing the children for working on the programming, giving them something they liked by letting them go play. But in doing so, we were allowing them to leave the desk and workspace, but something else was also happening. Um, We were doing a negative reinforcement schedule on ourselves. We were actually negatively reinforcing ourselves by taking these mini breaks for speeding through the programming with the student. So the kid rushes through the program, reward with play. Therapist rushes through the program, rewarded with an empty desk and to take a break. The correction uh, made then was for us to go with the child to their play space so that the child wouldn't only associate us with the work, but also to undercut the behavioral dynamic of wanting to rush through their programming to get these little breaks. It was almost as if there was a dance taking place where we, in seeking our own form of negative reinforcement, we we were positively reinforcing the child and basically separating the two. So our, our our boss was kind of calling us out on that, which was, was a very good, astute observation. This dance is very evident in the workplace between supervisors and workers, customers and employees, coaches and athletes, even with behavior analysts and their clients. A few months ago, I was asked to train a team of behavior analysts on the concepts of ACT and how they could be implemented with their clients' caretakers. They were noticing that there was an undesirable level of follow through on behavior plans, mostly because parents, guardians and or caretakers would experientially avoid the effort and challenge of adhering to the behavior plans with the clients that they needed to do it with. Um, what I tried to explain is the lack of follow-through was an in, was in, was basically instant gratification. It was an avoidance of the challenge. The, the the exhaustion, the noise, the tantrums, all of the above. It's 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 incredibly difficult to follow through on these plans day in and day out. The dance choreography was in place, child resists the plan, the caretaker gives in, child gets his way, positive reinforcement, the caretaker gets his or her quiet, which is negatively reinforced, Till the next dance, and the DJ continues to play. The tough lesson to teach in that workshop with the analysts was to remind them to focus with the implementers that behavior plans are targeted towards a particular value system. The value of rehabilitation, the value of independence, the value of learning, etc. The actual behavior plan itself is a committed action plan. In the process of implementing the plan, the committed action plan um, involves moments of discomfort that, that will definitely come up, exhaustion, noise, tantrums, adversity, you name it, pain, etc., But ACT implores us to accept the discomfort in the service of our values, to stick to the plan, to not give in to the dance, to not fall into the instant gratification of negative reinforcement or positive reinforcement. Monsters versus Watermelons There is a whole list of ways uh, one guides another. There's dynamics for that, right? There's father-son, mother-son... Father-daughter, mother-daughter, teacher-student, principal, assistant-principal, teacher, coach, player, trainer, athlete, religious leader, religious follower, boss, employee, therapist, client, doctor, patient, band leader, bass player. No offense, Julio. Uh (laughs) Producer and guy trying to speak into a microphone for a podcast without stuttering. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. Um, guiding someone to a destination is a tricky business. It's it's some weird, intangible, al- algebraic formula of knowledge plus, plus wisdom multiplied by years plus process divided by patience or something along that line, right? Uh, when it shows results, it's, it's an incredible feeling. When the pitfalls come, the process becomes burdensome. A boss dealing with an employee that just doesn't seem to get it a trainer feeling more like a parrot reminding the athlete to straighten his back. The parent desperately pulling from an from an almost empty gas tank trying to help their adolescent child through an emotionally difficult time. There's no easy solution for this. Like last episode when we discussed that there is no cure. What we have to remind ourselves as the guides is that the guide's guide asks us to focus on the value of guiding. We may see the solutions, but what good is us seeing solutions if the one we are guiding doesn't see it? It reminds me of an anecdote in a book called, and this is really the title of the book. People always crack up when they hear it. The name of the book is If You See the Buddha on the Road, Kill Him. It's by Sheldon Kopp, a book I read a few years ago because a client mentioned it. And hopefully, I think that that client still listens to the podcast. So if you're listening, you know who you are. The anecdote is about a traveler who's who's walking along the countryside, uh, and I'm I might miss a couple details because it's been a bit since I read the book. But the traveler is walking across the countryside, and cuts through a part of the field uh, that's a, a part of a farm, right? So he's cutting through the farm to save some time, and he gets warned by the the residents of that of the farm area there to be careful that there's a monster amongst the crops. Overtaken by curiosity, the traveler decided to investigate what this monster is. He finds it, but it isn't quite a monster. It's actually a watermelon. The traveler tries to show the farmer that it's not a monster at all, but rather a very plump, very ripe, very refreshing fruit waiting to be cut and and consumed. So the traveler gets the knife and he stabs at the watermelon, showing how non-monster-like this swollen fruit that's on the ground is. But the reaction he gets is not the one he expected. The reaction he gets from the farmer is the farmer freaks out, points at the traveler, and yells, BEWARE THE MONSTER KILLER! We forget an important principle as guides. We want to kill the monsters for those that we are guiding, when actually the principle begs us to show them these monsters and hope they eventually see that they are just watermelons. To kill their monsters for them is instant gratification. It's an ego hungry for victory. It is a path to suffering. It's the dance. To guide, to show, and to allow those we guide a chance to identify their monsters for what they truly are is a value-driven process. It's a purpose-driven path where the process is the reward, and pitfalls are opportunities and not obstacles. Like I told the staff of behavior analysts a few months ago, we do this to help others in the direction of improvement. Every up, every down is part of the process. The whole process is the reward. If we look at ups as reinforcement and downs as punishment, we start avoiding the negative stuff. And our guidance gets tainted with experiential avoidance. Experiential avoidance is commonly negatively reinforced, which undermines the value we are serving. Then it merely becomes a dance of instant gratification, and we have somehow pulled the person into our own journey rather than helping them on theirs. It will get tough. There will be storms. Terrible storms. You will be tested. You will question. You will continue to question and wonder why things are happening this way. Why you are not getting the cooperation that you feel you deserve. Why you're even bothering. But remember, you are doing this for the purpose of guidance, for support, for accepting the pitfalls and committing to the purpose, hoping one day they see the monster for what it is. A watermelon. And now for the challenge, as I continue to challenge you to be an active participant in your own life. I'm not sure in what particular role you feel that you are guiding someone right now. It may be in a professional role or in a recreational role, maybe in a loving role with a family member. I challenge you to identify the purpose of what you're guiding this particular individual or individuals in. Where is the North Star you're guiding them to? And I challenge you to remind yourself that value-driven road tends to be bumpy. They tend to be treacherous. They tend to not have instant gratification. But remember, the process is the reward. We guide because it's the higher purpose. And we accept the challenges it brings to commit to the plan at hand. hand. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you subscribe. I hope you enjoy. I hope you share. And I hope this, uh, this episode in particular has been helpful to you. Remember to email us with questions and or feedback and send us pictures of you listening to the podcast on your purpose-driven drives. We always appreciate those, but as always, do it safely. Do not put yourself at risk doing it. Um, also, email us ideas for future uh, Act in Films episodes and also for the Act Professional episodes. If you've got an idea or maybe a particular career path you're in that you would like an episode to be focused on, please send us that at the Balancingactpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Julio, the producer that makes this a reality. Uh, This is The Balancing Act. I am Danny. I am thankful. Take care.